0: The following content is from Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a gospel-driven high-adventure camp in western North Carolina. Go to SWOutfitters.com to learn more about our camps and conferences. Enjoy the message. Everybody have a good day. Uh, man, I just, I, I'm so thankful to the Lord for the weather today. It's so awesome, man. And it's like, does was a, a gift from the Lord for sure. Uh, let me get my stuff dialed in here. And uh, I, I say this every I think I say this about every be strong, but isn't there something so powerful about hearing a bunch of men sing to the Lord? You know, just it's so strong, and I don't know, man, it's just good. These events are so good for m- for my soul. I mean, <clears throat> you know, you I don't know some of y'all. I, I would imagine some of y'all work a secular job where it's real easy to start thinking that like, you know, you end up feeling outnumbered and isolated. You know, and uh, and and a man of God is i mean that's part of it it's not you know hebrew the writer hebrew says we we don't shrink back you know we're not of those who shrink back but but still you know it's hard a lot of times we, we were talking after supper a group of us tonight about it's hard even to find that balance of how do i be firm in my faith and not just be offensive not just be a jerk you know how do i Where's that line where I'm not compromising biblical truth? I'm not compromising the gospel, but I'm also not, you know, beating people over the head with my opinions, you know, and it's a hard balance to find. And so just a a weekend like this, where we focus on us and Jesus and, and not really so much on what's going on in social circles or, um, you know, and, and hot topics of the day. Just a group of brothers uh, just worshiping the Lord. It's been a good day, and uh, and so tonight it's going to be a good. And I want it to be practical. I want it to be encouraging. Um, I I tend to, everybody's got a default, and um, and I tend to, my default, if I don't really check things, I tend to go uh, full throttle, get aggressive with the text, even uh, just, there's a passion there, and I know you may appreciate that. I know nobody's scared of that, but I do want it, sometimes it's good to, kind of zoom out and get practical, and I really want to try to do that tonight and, uh, and, and look at some things. You know, Spencer made a, a statement or two last night and, and referenced a passage of Scripture in Second Peter, and we're talking about the last will and testament of Paul, but we're going to go to that third thing that Paul talked about in 2 Timothy 4, 7, that he kept the faith. And I want to give you a word tonight, or the, the Lord, I believe, has a word tonight for us on keeping the faith. What does it look like to keep the faith? To stay faithful to the end, probably the most listened to podcast that, that if, if you're a podcast listener, I think most of you are familiar with this, we have several podcast opportunities at Snowbird. We have the main Snowbird podcast, I host a podcast called No Sanity Required, the NSR podcast. It's just worldview stuff, life, Christianity, theology, uh, missionary stories, um, good, good stuff, good content, drop episodes on Monday, <clears throat> excuse me. But uh, I, typically, that podcast is just me at a microphone or I'm interviewing somebody. Um, and we dropped a sermon that I preached to our staff back in the summer, um, and it was called A Warning Against Drifting. And a lot, I've had a lot of guys tell me today that you listen to that. And and if you haven't, I would encourage you to go look up the No Sanity Required podcast. It's on Spotify or Apple, whatever, and and listen to that. It's... And it And it grew out of this heart of I don't know if y'all have experienced this, but i've been we've been in student ministry long enough now. We've had about at the best I can tell this is a rough Baptist estimate, all right so, which means it is embellished if not exaggerated all right We've had close to fifteen hundred staff come through. I know we've had well north of 1,000, and I was trying to think of like seasonal staff and part-time staff and summer summer interns, 1,500, and that average range is going to be like 18 to 25, and every man in this room, every one of us knows someone who started strong, drifted, and then walked away from the faith those of us that are in pastoral care i got a i got a a pastor brother friend here uh kevin Seeger. we had a conversation not long ago about people that came out of their student ministry served at snowbird we co-labored to disciple them and now they've gone the way of heresy and as a pastor you're going what did i do wrong what you you carry a personal burden you feel that weight Some of you have sons and daughters that have walked away. Some of you have uh, spouses that have walked away. Maybe a former spouse that's walked away. And so I want to encourage us tonight from the word with the reality that scripture gives us promises that we can listen, man, we can finish well. We can finish well. And in finishing well, we can keep the faith because, because. The reality is it's not just young people that get swept away by progressive philosophy or theology. There's a massive movement right now within what's being tagged as like progressive Christianity where people are trying to create a new form of Christianity that's progressed away from orthodox or historic Christian teaching. And that's not new stuff, man. That's been going on since the time of Paul and Timothy. The, the gospel's always going to be attacked, and it's critical that we understand how to weather those storms. And so I want to hopefully just take a few minutes here and look at some, some words actually in 2 Peter 1. We're talking primarily from Paul's teachings, but Paul and Peter, co-laborers, and I think, uh, it, I think in looking at Paul's, um, you know, Paul's statement that he has kept the faith, Uh, I think I want to look at practical things that keep us from drifting. The writer of Hebrews says he warns us against drifting. Guard these things unless you would drift. So how do we not drift? How do we keep from drifting? Um, Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 7 that he has kept the faith. Let me read that verse again from this morning. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith from last night and this morning. So what does it look like to keep the faith? So let's jump over to, to 2 Peter chapter 1. I went back and forth on this, prayed about it, met with our pastoral team here at Snowbird. Is it cool to step out of the thematic material of Paul's last words to, to the church and to Timothy and go to, well, this is Peter's last words. In 2 Peter chapter 1, in our text, he actually says in verse 14, I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. What did Paul say last night? Spencer honed in on that and painted that vivid picture of Paul's beheading. And he said, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. I thought that was vivid, brilliant imagery. As he's decapitated for the gospel, literally his lifeblood pours out in that picture of a drink offering. It's powerful. And so Peter's saying the same thing. Um, Early church history tells us that Peter was crucified and that he wanted to be crucified in an upside-down manner. Have y'all heard that? Because he did not count himself worthy to be crucified in the same manner of the Lord. And and early church history also reports and records that Peter's wife went to be crucified with him and that he called to his wife to take heart and have courage and die well because she would soon see the face of Jesus. And I want us to have that kind of courage But not just in the dying hour, but these men wrote these things because they had lived faithfully. And Peter had lived faithfully, but Peter was a completely different animal than Paul. To be honest, most of us cannot relate to Paul because Paul was an attorney. He had been to the best law school in that part of the world. He was an elite Roman um, sociocrat. He was an elite Jewish he had, he had Jewish rabbinical authority. I mean, this dude was like a who's who in the two biggest category of humans in first century Palestine. He was elite. He could walk into. Paul went to Mars Hill, and he debated and lectured in defense of the gospel at the Areopagus. The best way I could describe what the Areopagus is would be to say, you guys have seen at the the Super Bowl halftime show. That's kind of one of the biggest stages. Recently, a week or two ago, um, I was driving. I'd been preaching in Jacksonville, Florida a week ago. I was driving home, and I was trying to watch football on my YouTube TV app, and I got it, I got it, Um, I won't say what state I was in, but anyway, so I got it up there, and I'm trying to listen to the game, and it keeps bouncing me to the Grammys or the Emmys or the Oscars, one of those awards shows, um, you know, which I could not be less interested in anything, literally. I would rather count the gravel in this building than to watch five minutes of that garbage. And so I'm driving up the road thinking... You know, I I'm not interested in a three-hour program of people that have an inflated opinion of their own importance. You know, like, I'm, this is not for me. So I'm, and, and, but, like, imagine this, that kind of stage, the Oscars or halftime of the Super Bowl show. Take that, merge that with, de- like, arguing a case before the Supreme Court, It's like those two drastic high levels of culture, that's what the Areopagus was. Because you had law and philosophy being debated, but it was also a source of national entertainment. Paul had the credentials to go there and debate. Peter couldn't swim and got out of a boat in a storm. Now, I can look around this room and tell you that 95% of us can relate to Peter. (laughs) I can just tell, you know, like you know your people, you know. And Peter, Peter's the same dude. Peter's the same guy that would time and again seem to be at the pinnacle of faithfulness to the Lord. And in the next moment, he's doing something and you're going, what is this guy doing? You know, Jesus is like, I'm gonna wash y'all's feet. Peter's like, you ain't washing my feet. Jesus is like, oh, yeah? Well, if I don't wash your feet, you don't get like, like you don't get to take part in it. And he's like, okay, wash all of me. Jesus is like, what are you doing? I'm washing your feet, and this is turned into wash all of me. Like, chill out. He's a drama queen. You know what I mean? Like, he's freaking out. And so we can identify with Peter. But what we know is that over the course of his life, Peter became so faithful to the Lord. And I believe it was in that moment. And I want to... I don't dare want to undo anything that's been done over the course of this weekend because I believe that to this point the truth has been faithfully preached 3 times before tonight and I would not dare undo it but here's what I know that some of you struggle with self-condemnation self-guilt doubt no confidence in your Christian ability like in your ability as a Christian man and I would say to you that one of the promises we're going to see in just a minute is greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And when you fall and you fail and you make mistakes as a Christian man, the only option for you is to get a handful of dirt as you're pulling yourself back to your feet and keep plowing forward. Because you're going to make mistakes, you're going to fail, you're going to falter. And one of the things I love about Peter is that moment. When Peter and Jesus make eye contact, right after Peter, under the intense pressure of a teenage girl scrutinizing him, seriously, GD, MF, blankety blank, Jesus, blank, blank, that's where he was at. Now, you think that you've messed up and you fouled up, do you think Peter fouled up? says he used obscenities to decry and disassociate himself from Jesus and then made eye contact with him. You talk about wanting to crawl in a hole. That, I guarantee you, that cat, I guarantee you suicide crossed his mind. But Peter would later write in his first letter, he understands the mercies of God because he understands grace and forgiveness in his deepest hour of denial of the Lordship of Christ. So we can learn from Peter. And I want to encourage you tonight, if you have faltered and failed, and faltered and failed, and you're going, man, I've screwed this thing up 20 times, 30 times, every day. I can't get it right. I will say to this, I would say this to you. Keep Fighting. There should if there is breath in your lungs, there should be fight in you. I don't care if you failed today. Just keep fighting, man. God has built you for combat, for spiritual warfare. That quote last night that Spencer read about that dude with like talking about Paul, like his battle belt, and did that make you want to like that was awesome. Because we're built for that. So 2 Peter 1, let me just run through this list quickly that Spencer uh, touched on last night, beginning in verse 3. This is Peter writing, the same guy we just talked about, who made such a mistake on the night of Jesus' arrest and later would be crucified upside down. What What a transition, what a transformation. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. This is verse 3. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, By which he has granted us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. The first thing Peter does, I'm going to give you four thoughts. The first thing he does is this, verses 3 and 4, he gives us the reality of our faith. Here's the reality of your faith as a believer. The reality of your faith as a believer is that you've been given the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that's the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit will not leave you, but that your knowledge of who God is is going to grow through and by the power and work of the Holy Spirit in you. And in verse 4, he says this, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So... True, two truths make the assertion that Peter is making a reality for the believer. These are two truths that are reality for the believer when it comes to living with the power of... So and when we talk about living with the power of God on my life, living under the under the power of God, like having the power of God at work in me, he says two truths make these make this assertion. The first one is a knowledge of God. See that? He says... Uh, in, in verses three and four, he talks about through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Listen to what J I Packer in knowing God says about the knowledge of God. What were we made for to know God? What aim should we set ourselves in life to know God? What is the eternal life that Jesus gives knowledge of God? Once you've become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God. Most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. So, knowledge—an increasing knowledge of God—critical, critical for the believer. And number two, the next reality that unleashes and unlocks the power of God in us that's been granted to us is, he says in verse four, the His precious and very great promises. Now, I want to talk just a second about the promises, promises of God. He's given, uh, He has given us uh, this idea of the promises of God. He's given this to us in superlative. He's using the perfect tense saying he has given. Peter is not implying only that God has given these promises past tense, but that he has also fulfilled them in Christ and that he will continually fulfill them in the person and work of Jesus in my life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Through Christ, we overwhelmingly conquer And I want to talk to you for just a second. I want to list, I just jotted down a few of the promises of God in Scripture. Listen to these promises. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. In Christ, I know that God really does love me. Jesus died to set me free from sin. Through Christ, we overwhelmingly conquer. Jesus died to give me his righteousness. I am a member of the household of God. I am a co-heir with Jesus. Jesus began a good work in me. Jesus will be faithful to complete it. I have been saved by grace. No one will pluck me from the hand of God. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of Jesus. I'm adopted as a son. The Holy Spirit is dwelling in me. Jesus will never leave me. Jesus will never forsake me. Jesus has justified me. Jesus will glorify me. And again, God loves me. We could go on and on with the promises and realities of our faith. But let's go to verse 5, and he says this, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and increase, and they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The response of our faith is the second thing I want to look at. It's laid out in these, these four verses right here. What he's doing is he's painting a picture in this progression of words. He's saying, "Here's imagine a ladder or an escalator. And in the Christian life, you're on this ladder, and you're constantly climbing the ladder. And so he says, we're going we're to start with faith. And watch, he paints a picture of this ladder. We're going to start with faith. We're going to add to our faith virtue. A person of virtue is a per- person who's honorable, a person who will strive to work to do the right thing. A person of virtue is generous and does not show personality and is a person of principle. So add to your faith virtue. So if faith is the supporting rung of the ladder, virtue is not legalistic, but it is a characteristic of true faith. Then he says add to that knowledge. And then he says add to that self-control. Self-control is the fruit of the spirit. So as my knowledge grows and I'm growing in honor as a faithful person and brother and friend, I'm I'm fighting for self-control. It's the fruit of the spirit. This grows from a sound mind. Then he says, add to that steadfastness. This is where he starts to, to turn to the more offensive tools and weapons of that climb on that ladder be steadfast in the fight be steadfast in the task for the job at hand jesus said that no man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is worthy of the of the kingdom of god fight for the pursuit of holiness fight to continue even when you've fallen fight the darkness with the light of the gospel fight lies with truth fight temptation with the sword of the spirit fight bitterness with the heart of forgiveness fight wantonness and greed with contentment Fight envy with satisfaction that comes from knowing and surrendering to Jesus. Fight for those who can't fight for themselves with the courage and determination that the Lord supplies. Fight smart. Fight dirty. The word of God is the sword of the spirit and it will overwhelm the enemy. When you fight temptation and sin and depression and anxiety and fear with the word of God, you ain't fighting fair. I ain't never been interested in fighting fair. Life ain't a soccer match or a tennis game or a tennis match or life ain't a baseball game. We ain't worried about good sportsmanship. When it comes to fighting these things that would consume us, we need to use everything at our disposal to win the day. So fight dirty. Use the word of God. Take it to the enemy. Add to this, he says, godliness Peter breaks down godliness into three things by the way back in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 12. He breaks godliness down so here's a good working definition of godliness. Godliness is as exemplified by Jesus, submission. What do we submit to? God and one another. This was real helpful when we submit to one another. Submission, a willingness to embrace suffering and in service, serving one another, serving our 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 family serving those around us in these three things Peter's calling us to live the ultimate Christ-like life that's what godliness is then he says brotherly affection then he says love so that's a cool that that's that's a, a specific if you really study the language the original language brotherly affection is this idea of the affection that we might have for one another but then adding to that True and sincere love where we care about people at the deepest level, recognizing that God is love. So those are the realities of our faith. And then we come to verse 8 and he starts to talk about the third thing, which is the result of our faith. He says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the practical application. If I'm on this ladder and I'm adding to my faith virtue and knowledge and steadfastness and self-control and godliness and love, if I'm I'm climbing daily, what he's saying, y'all listen, this is so helpful. He's saying, I will not fall away. If you just stay in the grind, man, just keep climbing. And trust that you won't follow fall away. Trust that. That's a good promise. He says the result of these qualities is that we'll be effective and fruitful in our knowledge of the Lord and by the power of the Lord. Then in verse nine he says, he says, "This will keep you from being nearsighted." He said, "Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was that he was cleansed from his former sin." What happens here? He's, he's helping us understand that what happens when we fail and falter and fall is we forget the gospel. You've heard multiple times over the course of this weekend. Remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. Remind yourself of the gospel. Paul says, First Corinthians fifteen, verse one and two. He's talking to the Corinthian church. Y'all, them dudes were jacked up. If you go study what was going on in Corinth, those cats were messed up. I'm talking about they had it all messed up. Like they were so confused. And so he's picking apart through the course of 1 Corinthians. He's trying to help them figure out what the Christian life looks like. And he gets to 1 Corinthians 15. And he I love the way he starts the chapter and ends the chapter. He starts the chapter like this. But I would remind you, brothers... So if you're being reminded of something, it's something you already know, right? It's like we don't need it. we don't need new revelation. We know what we know. We just need to press into what we know. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you now stand, and in which you are being saved. So he's saying the gospel is past, present, and future for the believer. So we're living in the future, moving towards. We're living in the present, moving towards the future. Looking back at the past, the gospel deals with all of that. Because a lot of us, our past is the biggest enemy. Your past is what really messes with you. Whatever that is, you've taken human life. You left a wife on unbiblical grounds. You you went through a season where you you were an abuser. You were abused. You were victimized. Whatever. You've lived with addiction. And we all got, look, Brother. We all have a past. The gospel is the answer to the past. And we all have a future. That's like the here and now. Whatever it is, it keeps you pacing at night. You know, how I'm, you know what I've started to do to self-medicate when I can't sleep at night because of anxiety or doubt or fear or whatever? Because just in case you was wondering, pastors and preachers deal with anxiety and doubt and fear. At least this one does sometimes gripped with it, can't even sleep, get up, pace the floor, lose like like half in, half out. So I go downstairs, I turn on the TV, and I watch Andy Griffith. (laughs) (laughs) It's like. (laughs) I used to try to watch hunting videos, but then it would get my adrenaline going. I'm like, I can't do that. I got to find something to chill me out. Drunk Otis, Barney Fife, Ain't Bees Cooking. That'll chill you out right now, you know? So I would remind you of, so past, present, what am I dealing with today? And in which you are being saved, there's a future hope that we have, y'all. Y'all know what ultimately we're fixing our eyes on. Jesus is coming back. For six, 7,000 years, four, five, six thousand five 6,000 years, people's like, ah, oh, he ain't coming. There ain't no Messiah coming, I don't believe it. Even once the specific patriarchal promises passed down through the kings and the prophets. Messiah's coming, Messiah's coming, Messiah's coming. In 400 years of silence. Well, guess what? He came. Because he always does what he says he's going to do. He's coming back. That's what we're striving for. So he, Paul begins that letter, to that chapter to the Corinthians. I would remind you of the gospel. Then he ends it by saying, Therefore, my dear brothers, be immovable, Steadfast, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. There's value to our labor. There's value assigned to the fight. There's value to the victory that awaits us. We got to fight for it. He says, if you do, if you maintain that focus, You won't grow nearsighted, and he's using nearsighted to talk about the things that are going on around us and in front of us. We Got to be careful we don't get entangled in the affairs of the here and the now only. Got to fight for what's awaiting. Work, fight, run, plow, deliver. These are words that describe our lives as Christ followers. And he says, if we do this, verse 10, here's the hope for us. I'm at 29 minutes. I promise I'll be done by 35. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. That's a good promise. What if you knew? Listen to me, brothers. What if you knew that there was a way to be assured that you would not fall? There is. There is. It's right here. And it's being given to us by a man who had fallen repeatedly. But the trajectory, look, your trajectory ain't going to look like this as a believer. It's going to look like this. Like this, right? But it's ultimately an upward trajectory. We're being conformed to the image of Christ. If we're staying on the ladder, we will not, he's saying in verse 10, we will not be ineffective, we will not be unfruitful, and we will not fall away from Jesus. What if you knew that you would live a life that was effective, fruitful, and faithful? You can, but don't overthink it. Just get on the ladder and add to your faith virtue and to your virtue knowledge and to your knowledge self-control and to your self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. Study that ladder. In verse 11, he says this, and for in this way, there will be a richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. At the end of the ladder, the gate of heaven will open and we will enter in and we will see Jesus. And we will know him as we are known. That's the goal. We're not running a race with no goal. We're not fighting with no prize in sight. And that's why he calls us in our final point to a resilience of faith in verses 12 through 15. He says, I'm dying, y'all. I'm getting ready to die, but listen to what he says. Three times he reminds us. Verse 12, therefore I intend always to remind you of what? These qualities, the latter. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. Three times he says to, to stir up or remind. remind. I would remind you to recall these things. I would remind you of these things. He says you got to stir them up, stir it up. Think of think of. I'd like to think of uh, chocolate milk. If you buy your favorite chocolate milk, it's blended perfectly. But if you grew up poor like me, we got government cheese, peanut butter, and we sometimes got Hershey syrup in a metal can that you would crank open. One of them deal. You pop that little triangle thing. You open that. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You got to let it breathe, right? So you on both sides and you pour that syrup in. You pour it in like that and you stir. And you can't never get that chocolate milk to taste like promised land chocolate milk. <laughs> Ain't going to happen. I've tried. I used a whole daggum can of that stuff. And kids these days got Hershey syrup in a plastic squirt bottle. Lord, help us all. You know what kids need? A metal. Her- <laughs> I'm just playing now. But like, like you pour that in. You stir that up. And but, but what happens is you've got to stir it aggressively. Stir it, stir it, stir it, stir it. Like, if, like the chocolate's still in there. The gospel's in you. But it needs to be stirred up. Truth is in you, but it will settle at the bottom under the clutter of life. Stir it up. Every day, stir it up. That's what he's calling us to. He's saying, stir it, stir it, stir it. I'm dying, but keep, when I'm gone, just, you know, when I'm gone, it's okay. He's saying, it's okay. I'm, I'm not going to shepherd you anymore, but you've got what you need. Just stir it up. The drift begins when it's not being stirred up and we're not being reminded. That's what happens. If we'll stir it up, how do we stir it up? We put our face towards Jesus. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We open his word. We we have fellowship and we commune with him and we sharpen one another. We stir the gospel. We stir the faith and the virtue and the knowledge and the self-control. We stir it up, stir it up, stir it up and we'll be faithful. He says, you do that, you won't fall. You won't fail. You'll be able to one day on your deathbed tell those that have gathered around you, stir up everything I taught you. Look to Jesus, and you'll finish well. You'll win the day. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. We hope this has encouraged you in your walk with Christ. Be sure to give us a rating and review. And for more Snowbird content, check out our other podcast, No Sanity Required.